This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on the phone is Morgan James. Morgan, thank you for chatting with me today. Hi, I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. I, uh, I've, I've, <laughs> I've listened to you sing many a time. I love your voice. It's uh, so full and so rich and so full of life. And I, I want to get to the bottom of that, <laughs> where that comes from for you. Wow, thank you. I, uh, I want to jump, though, back to the beginning of time for Morgan. Um, what were your entertainment dreams growing up? My entertainment dreams, my gosh. Um, well, you know, I started out, uh, I think one of my first dreams was really in, um, to be on Broadway. Okay. I mean, my first dream was to be a veterinarian and work at the San Diego Zoo, and those dreams were dashed uh, by my grades. Um, <laughs> but I found singing in theater, and my, my dad was my drama teacher, and um, he was a drama teacher in high schools, you know, when I was a little kid. And, and so I saw him working with, with casts, and he, in kind of he and my mom introduced me to musical theater. And, and so that was one of my earliest dreams. I thought that I, I wanted to do musical theater, and that stayed with me for a long, long time, you know? And, um, I, and then, of course, your dreams evolve. I wanted to, you know, I started to make dreams that were closer together, right? I wanted to go to Juilliard. That was a big dream, and I wanted to, you know, so you have to back it up. The big, giant dream, there has to be all these dreams that lead up to it. Uh, set the, set the, the play here for me. Growing up, how much was music an influence in the home? Was a rather musical family? Your dad was your drama teacher. Was theater something that everyone in the family was doing? Um, it was definitely something that my mom and dad both, you know, both did. And so neither of them are musical. They love good music, but neither of them are musical. <laughs> and um, they both have great voices, but, you know, nobody played instruments or anything like that. So I think the music side was really something I don't know where I got it. <laughs> frankly but they were both actors and they were both w incredibly well read both instructors both loved great music loved great books so I was I was given a lot of great ingredients yeah. you know and they they were really they kind of instilled in me that um something that I always tell students which is you are what you eat you know um whatever books and music and literature and and good food you put in your body you become that you really do you know so they, they kind of started that trend for me. What, what, were, um, what were some of the lessons that your, your parents taught you about work ethic? Well, you know, I, I was a really, really ambitious, <laughs> motivated kid. I, I mean, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, sure. because my mom was really uh, strict and pushed me to and, and uh, nurtured or developed or something developed my um, competitive nature okay. or it was there and she just or she just coaxed it along and so um being the best and getting the best grades and and doing the best was kind of instilled from the beginning yeah. and um and they they always told me when i said i wanted to go to new york they said it's going to be really hard there's going to be a lot of rejection you're going to have to work harder than everybody there's going to be a ton of people just like you you're not you know you're not special in a good way you know and and you have to stay humble because nobody wants to work with somebody that's not humble and kind and you have to you know put in the time and you can't take anything for granted and 
I mean, work ethic is just was so instilled in our household. Yeah. You know, my dad, my dad can build anything. He can fix anything. You never hire somebody. You do it yourself, you know, and right. anything, anything they don't know or didn't know, they would learn how to do it. They would read about it. And, you know, getting, getting good grades was of utmost importance not just because it's good to to get good grades but they they said you know we don't have a lot of money if you want to go to a good school you have to get the best grades you have to get a scholarship you know they were teachers so it was instilled in me so early on to get to have good things happen you have to be totally prepared and work harder than anybody and you still might not make it. Mm. <laughs> so it was kind of, I wasn't surprised when I got to New York and it was very hard. I think I had been prepared for that. <laughs> what were, yeah, what were those early days in New York? What was the self-talk you had to keep yourself going? You're prepared, you knew there'd be rejection, you know, but to come up against, you know, actually stepping into it. What was that for you? Well, you know, I was sheltered by school for a little while. You right. know, I was in Juilliard for four years. Um, it was its own little microcosm of New York City. You know, it was its own. It had its own um, clicks and rises and falls and rejection right there in it in the in the walls. Um, so I kind of dealt with that first. I dealt with the fact that I did not fit in there did not really like it there but then I was committed to going there I didn't want to admit that I didn't like it mm. I definitely did not want to pursue opera after going to Juilliard well, that's interesting why didn't and, you want to admit it uh because everybody fought so hard for me to go there and I just talked it's I talked nothing but Juilliard for years leading up to it and I didn't want to admit that it wasn't the magical place I thought it was going to be and everyone had just done so much to help me get there that I just I felt like I would sound so ungrateful if I said you know it's not really as good as I thought you know <laughs> right. and and you know it was a very hard place to be that was harder than I expected yeah Wh it was socially harder than I expected and it was you know I don't know it, it's just it's not a very s s socially conducive place it's not a, a college experience you know yeah um it's a little, yeah, it was the, I'm imagining competition, you know. It's not even that. You're not really competing with one another. I mean, everybody always says, oh, it's a cutthroat competition. No, you're, you're not competing with one another because there's only five of you mm -hmm. and they're all different voice types. Right. There's five people in my class, right, you know. Right. So uh, you're not competing with one another. You're competing with the best version of yourself. And they tell you on day one, like the best version of yourself is probably not going to make it. <laughs> 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 you're always only you're always only competing with yourself right the, the the sooner people learn that the happier they'll be in life yeah well yeah i mean that's a great that's a really great point i uh the, setting these goals for yourself to you know go to juilliard want to be on broadway are these were these written down things for you or you just you had them in the mind you did it juilliard was there you're going to complete it because you wanted it now broadway yeah well, yeah, yeah, basically, you know, I would, I would have, I had lots of goals before that. I'm going to, you know, do this in speech and debate and do this in choir sure. and, and do this in drama. And like, I was a total overachiever, crazy, like, um, yeah, I, I, I love a project. I love a goal. I love a list. Mm -hmm. I've always been like that. And, you know, when I was in New York and then I, yeah, I pretty, pretty much immediately it was, okay, how, how can I get on Broadway? 
Now that proved to take a lot longer and be a lot harder than I expected. And it had so many more elements that I didn't know about. And Juilliard did not prepare me for them because of course Juilliard doesn't help you get an agent or help you make a book or care if you have any acting or dance training. I mean, that you're not there for that. And, you know, pretty early on, they kind of saw that my mind was like wandering and I wanted to, you know, do that. A few people nurtured that and a few people really helped me. But the institution as a whole is not there to help you get on Broadway. Right, right. Like the Michigans or the Cincinnati's or any of these other kind of conservatory places. Of course, of course. And they don't, I don't, tell me if I'm wrong, I don't actually know. They don't want you to audition while you're studying. You held off on auditioning until after graduating yeah you yeah you have you can't you have to choose yeah. which i think is smart I, I don't think you should be auditioning and, and leaving you either choose to go to school and you commit to that if you have one foot out the door the whole time you're not going to get good training mm-hmm. so no i didn't i i did not dabble i didn't look elsewhere i i did shows and stuff in the summers but i didn't i wasn't tempted to leave i i wasn't going to go all that way and then not graduate mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, okay. So if you're willing to kind of piece this together for me after, after graduating college and auditioning, I know, um, and I had it, I have it written down here that you, you were part of Primrose, the chocolate soldier pirates, those two off Broadways, then paper mill. And then Godspell was the Broadway debut. No. Okay. Uh, great. No. The internet. Um, oh, you gotta love the internet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, I did like lots of Lots of regional theater, sure. lots of readings. I did lots of new works at NYU, and I did, um, you know, bef- I did summer stock in the summer. That's how I got my equity card. So I did shows every summer and and got my equity card the old-fashioned way. Right. And I I was lucky to get an agent right out of college, so they were submitting me for you know regional stuff. I couldn't even get in for, uh, I couldn't even get an appointment for a Broadway show for years. Mm-hmm for years because the catch 22 is you can't get a Broadway show until you have one and you, yes. you know, so how do you get a Broadway show with no Broadway credits? <laughs> right. And, you know, so I started just committing myself to, you know, I'm just going to learn how to be a leading lady out of town. I'm just going to try to get bigger roles out of town. Mm. And, and that's what I, you know, I got a, my first kind of big lead at like two rivers, two river theater company in New Jersey. Yeah. And then I'd got a big lead in at, uh, like Arizona Theater Company and Casey Rep and and started learning how to do that, you know? And I kind of saw the writing on the wall that to be involved, to get a Broadway show, you really need to be involved from the beginning. And that's still the truth. So I decided to, okay, how can I meet music directors, composers, lyricists? How can I be involved with something from the ground up? And I started meeting amazing people at NYU doing readings of new works at the at the musical theater writing program and since i can read music and sight sing pretty well you know i was an asset there and i met so many incredible people there and ultimately i met mary mitchell campbell at the eugene o'neill theater conference doing like you know a new work that never went anywhere but was fun and she and i became friends and then when they were doing a reading of the adams family she said oh you know we should have morgan come along so I did the very, I was involved with Adam's family from the very first workshop. Yeah. I was involved with um, Wonderland from the workshop phase. I met Frank through some friends. It's all like who you know. It's not going in. I never booked anything from going into an audition. Yeah. I'm a terrible auditioner. <laughs> you know, I have to audition, but I get jobs because somebody hears me sing or already knows me. Right. And then I was involved with, you know, uh, Motown from the workshop phase. And I was involved in, you know, Godspell from 
from the earliest incarnation. I wasn't in it at Paper Mill, but I was sure. in it after that. Sure, sure. So yeah, I did Adam's Family, and then I did Wonderland, then I did Godspell, then I did Motown. What What are your views on these relationships? I know you just touched on it a little bit, but relation, professional relationships in the industry, how are, how do you view all of that? It seems like it's been so helpful. Oh, it's yeah, it's everybody everybody who makes it in any way has the. There is no one that that gets jobs that doesn't have personal relationships where they're working, right. and or where they're about to work. That's how people get jobs. Those are the people. That, it, that's what you don't learn until you are deep, deep, deep in the business. Right. It, I really thought like, oh, I'm just going to walk into an audition and sing, sing great, and then I'll just get a job. I mean, it was, I was so naive. And it doesn't matter what picture you have. It doesn't matter your resume. It doesn't matter your, what's in your book. I just started taking things out of my book. My book has three things in it. I used to think that, you know, the way we're taught to look at the business is very different. What really matters is... Are you fun? Do people like you? Do you work hard? Do you put your nose to the grindstone? You know, right. do you, can you, are you a quick learn? Are you a good musician? Are you a team player? Are you humble? Um, and yeah, if you have extraordinary skills on top of that, then great. But the personal relationships matter so much. Yeah, yeah they really do. And not like, not in a, oh, making connections. Because I'm not like a schmoozer i'm not a partier i'm never out on the scene sure sure it's not that it's it's more um you know really the word connection really connecting with people yeah. and and so that when they're making something they think of you and they want you to be a part of it right. and it takes years and years and years to develop those kinds of friendships that matter yeah well, when was the um, when w when were you making this transition into to the singing career to go from you know was it like a certain amount of Broadway shows and then you were like okay I'm moving on now like what was that gear shift for you so to speak? Well, you know it's never it's always just uh, it's always a work in progress. Sure. It's never that clear. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, if everyone's if everyone's career was like shifting gears in a car, it's like oh, and then I decided to do this. And I, and nothing, I didn't decide to do any of it. You know, I just it, necessity is the mother of invention for almost everything in my career. And in Adam's Family, my first Broadway show, I started to get really. I had some money then, or you know, more than I'd had bartending before sure. that. And I had time. I was in town. I wasn't you know going hither and there. And so I decided to start a band. So I started a band and uh, I did a show at Le Poisson Rouge. And I didn't know what I was doing. It was a total weird hodgepodge show. <laughs> and, and, but people came to it and they were like, uh, yeah, do, do more of that. We don't know what it is. <laughs> so I decided to dabble and start to like dip my toe in writing music. I was really scared of it. I kept changing my band, kept kind of playing with the sound, kept doing shows, and then I decided I wanted to try to make an album or get a record deal. This is my next goal in my mind. So um, I, my manager, Ted, who had been with me for years and years and years, we decided I needed a music manager. Tried to find one, you know, worked with somebody for a little while. It didn't pan out. Then you start over. You get a different music manager. Then... I auditioned for every label in the city. They all rejected me. I flew out to LA. I did a bunch of fabulous meetings. I got rejected and ultimately got signed by one of the same labels that rejected me. 
because sometimes you knock on a different door on the same building and somebody answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really crazy, you know? So I got, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, that was a long, 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 long process to get signed. And it basically was, you know, five years of making music and meeting people and figuring out what my sound was before I met Doug Morris at Sony. I met him during Motown because he was one of the producers of Motown. Fantastic. And Barry Gordy Jr., the founder of Motown, was a huge champion of mine. And he basically got me a record deal, yeah. you know? So uh, we had been pounding on doors and ultimately it takes the connection mm-hmm. of one person who believes in you, you know, all the, all the work I had done and, you know, beating down the doors and taking the meetings and sending out the demos. It didn't matter ultimately because what mattered was Mr. Gordy believed in me and made one phone call. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. sometimes it's that simple, you know? Right. But you have to do the work along the way. You can't wait for someone to do it for you, obviously. Yeah, you have to be prepared, right, for that opportunity. Of course, you have to be prepared. Did you, do you feel like life happens for you or to you and that things come at a certain time for a certain reason? I definitely feel like things happen at a certain time for a reason. And, and, and I really try to believe in the adage that, you know, nothing that is meant for you will pass you by. It's hard sometimes because it's sometimes you really get your heart set on something and then it passes you by. And it's hard not to take it personally. It's hard not to feel like things are um, passing you by in this business. Um, But usually things happen in the time they're supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, did you, do you have any mentors and some standout lessons from your mentors? I mean, Mr. Gordy is probably the biggest, most important, most influential mentor I've ever had. Um, I mean, he's a legend and he's incredibly kind. I met him later in life. Of course I met him in this, um, in his late later years where he's, very reflective and very affectionate and very nostalgic. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't know him when he was like cutthroat making Motown, you know. Sure. Um, he, he really encouraged me to write music. He really encouraged me to just, I mean, nobody works harder than that man. He is relentless. Yeah. He, he, you know, reminds me that, or, you know, he used to, he, one time he said to me, um, you have to remember that a star is a star even when it's not nighttime yet. So somebody may look up in the daytime and not see a star, but that doesn't mean it's not there. And you are a star whether anybody knows it yet or not. And I just, I cling to that, you know, when I feel doubt. Yeah. What was, where was that conversation? How did, how did he have time Uh, to talk to you? Like, what was the, we had, we've, I mean, he, he took me under his wing. We've had, I, every time I'm in LA, I go to his incredible home for many hours where, you know, I clear the day and I just, as long as he wants to talk to me, every time he's in New York, I clear the day. And we had many, many, many personal and professional conversations during Motown and beyond, you know? So that's been, we met in 2011 Mm -hmm. And he's just a very special man, you know, and I, um, yeah, I'm lucky that I, 
that he and he you know there was it was a cast of superstars yeah. certainly certainly could have taken anybody under his wing and so I feel very lucky yeah and without without harping on it for too long but I do find this to be incredibly fascinating what do you think it was about you that drew him to you you know something you can I describe? don't know you know I I think I think I look like Doris Day and sound like Tina Marie, which is what it said on the on the audition notice, you Fantastic. know. And I I walked in and I, I you know, I I thought to myself if I don't get this job, like I just need to quit the business. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes things are really like this is me. Yeah. So I walked in and I said, "This is me." Yeah. <laughs> I really I told them that, you know. And they laughed. They all laughed and I I really like had this confidence of like you're not going to find somebody that does this better than I do. You know, there was right. kind of that brazen thing. I think he really thought that was funny. Yeah. And the second he, he met me, he was like, he always just used to say, that's my star. That's my star. And I wasn't a star in the show. I had the tiniest role in Motown, but it doesn't, by gosh, talk about the lesson of the size of your role doesn't matter because that was the most influential show I've ever done in my life. And I was on stage for maybe a minute. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow entertainment X on Instagram at underscore entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet go to Apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 